You're listening to the Pursue God Family Podcast, the official channel for marriage and parenting topics at PursueGod.org. Join Tracy and Brian Dwyer every week as they talk about living biblically in an increasingly secular world. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash family. Well, Tracy, today we're, we're welcoming on a couple, Josh and Katie Walters. We're starting a brand new series. It's a four-weeker on the book that Josh and Katie just got released. We're so excited for this book. It's called New Marriage, Same Couple. We, we've we already done an intro, an entire uh, podcast with you guys to hear your story. So uh, we'll put a link to that down below. But today we're starting this four-week series. We're walking through kind of the lessons in your book um, that, that saved your marriage. And we want to help other couples to learn those keys as well. Before we get into today's topic, why don't you introduce yourself and just tell your story? Like, give us the two, three minute version of your story and why it matters to the people who are listening today. So good. You bet. So, my name is Josh, and obviously, this is Katie. And uh, our our story, you know, um, I would say as a as a pastor, especially, I do a whole lot of weddings, and something about going to a wedding in some way takes me back to when we stood at an altar together and exchanged vows ourselves. And the line, for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Uh, Chances are everyone listening today has either heard those words or very likely exchanged them with someone that they love and sincerely meant them until they didn't. And so our story is really about what do you do? What can God do? If you find yourself at that place. Yeah, it is. So it's so, it's so wild thinking back on it. So we've been married now 22 years. I like that. You're the one questioning. (laughs) I think 22 years. Yeah. But, um, seven years into our marriage, you know, we really went through a devastating season. We tell a lot of couples that we know the enemy is kind of waiting there, prowling like a lion. And, um, we were definitely set up to be in a thin place in life. We had started, what Josh just called adulting, but to me it felt really hard. You know, we had gotten our masters, we started doing some rental properties. We had three kids, um, two two kids at the time, and one I was pregnant, and our third child. We're about seven years into marriage, and so we really what Josh thought was fu- we were doing great in his mind. We are still having date nights, we are still connecting, but we were fighting a lot, and our boundaries really started to get slurred when this friend, uh, two friends, moved into town. We had been pretty isolated till that point. And so I began having an emotional affair um, with a man in our church with this friend of ours, probably about a year and a half before I ended up confessing to Josh um, that I was in just a deep place of sin. And really what happened with this, and this is Reader's Digest, you guys can hear more of the story on the other um, podcast, but the the couple, the woman was realizing there was a big problem in her marriage. And she came over to our house and was just kind of saying, something is wrong in my marriage. And um, Josh would have never thought, she thought something's happening with my husband. He is in love with someone else. Josh was like, I know him. That would never happen. You know, it was really Mm -hmm. comforting her. And when she left that night, it was almost like my eyes that had these blinders on them for how much hurt and pain I was causing to their family, our family fell off. And I just simply said to Josh, like, what if it's me? What if I'm the problem? What if I'm destroying um, this marriage? And so what I thought would be a very small confession on our couch that no one would ever find out about became very public very quickly. um, Mm -hmm. Because like he said, he was a youth pastor in the church. We were asked to not come back to the church. He was asked to give his last message. So we went through about six months of just no man's land, could not get good counseling, And just like he's saying there, he was inviting me to fight for our vows, to fight for our marriage, to rebuild, to go to a new place of intimacy. And I had no concept for how to do that. I really thought I was unhappy. I didn't love him anymore. I had truly given my heart to someone else. And truth be told, I didn't know how to do that either. I just knew it was what God wanted and that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's few things he hates and divorce is one of them. And I knew that the whole nature of this covenant is about uh, learning to die, right? That we might mm-hmm. live. And so the more that I would die to myself and change for her and her for me, that it would lead to our best life, our kids' best life. But man, when you're in a 
place of brokenness, I didn't have a clue how to do it. And so I was just going in faith, knowing this is what God wants. And if he can take me from dead to life, he can sure enough do it in our marriage. And it'd be uh, something that leaves us both better. Mm-hmm. Well, let me, let me say this real quick, you guys. I just feel like for our listeners out there, who just to take a breath and to, first of all, thank you for being willing to share your story, but just for couples out there to, that are struggling, that feel like all hope is lost. What you just summarized is a very intense experience that you guys are on the other side of now. So for couples out there listening, wondering, like you said, Josh, did, did those vows mean anything? Do I mean it? Do I love my spouse anymore? That God can do miracles, even in the hardest of things. So I hope that people will take the time to just listen, listen to your words, listen to the things that God has taught you guys, and to see how a marriage that really for most people I think would have ended after all of that and just the pressure that you were under. God did something new and it took you guys being both for different reasons, humble, teachable, willing, but God is like, look at you guys now and what God's done through your story. It's the Romans eight twenty eight. It's beautiful. Thank you for being here to share that. Oh, we're glad to. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah. He, he had so much passion and hope. Um, even during that darkest season. Now, it looked like devastation for him a lot of days, a lot of anger, you know, um, that he was taking to God, not taking out on me, but sadness. And, um, and I really thought that if I, if I just stayed the course, maybe I would have like a friend and I would have done the godly thing, the right thing. And I think because of all the miracles that we saw God do through just choosing to stay, that's why we're so passionate to kind of share these principles with couples because we know the dire circumstances that you can be standing on what you think is like a pile of rubble. Yeah. And just hope for couples that, uh, you know, you hear about somebody walking through something awful and, and them talk about their story and they say things like, well, I wouldn't change it if I could. I've always kind of thought like, well, something's wrong with you. Cause that sounded like misery. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> why would you not? But I, but I really feel like, for our marriage, uh, for me, just the man I am today compared to the one I was, the the woman and wife Katie is, it's like, man, God really met us at our lowest point. And he, he did a new work in us. Like it, it started in and with each of us and um, has ultimately taken us to a place by way of our, our family, our vocations, our city, everything. I, I just don't see how it would have come about had it not been you know, birthed and brought out of the lowest place. So yeah, be encouraged. You may not be able to see it, but God can do it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I encourage our listeners, you know, some of you maybe are at the edge of your seat because you can relate to the story you just heard from Josh and Katie. And guys, we'll hear more of your story over the next four weeks. But what I love about your book is it's called New Marriage, Same Couple. And this isn't just for couples who've experienced this kind of devastation, you know, infidelity in their marriage. Yeah. It's it's for any couple, you know, what one of your prayers, I'm sure just like ours is that we preempt, this is like a preemptive strike for a couple that might be on a pathway to that. Mm. They don't even know it yet. And so I think the principles that you guys lay out are good for every couple that's listening. So I just want to encourage couples as you're listening to this to really listen, listen with your spouse, maybe with a mentoring couple, maybe with a small group and have your hearts open to really learn from the story and apply it to your own marriage. And guys, you lay out the way that you lay out the book, and it's the way we're going to be doing this series as well at PursueGod.org, is you've got these four principles that, just like a pastor, Josh, you had to put it into an acronym. I love that. <laughs> it's, and it's S-T-A-Y. We're going to talk about, today we're going to talk about start with me. Next week, we're going to talk about take quitting off the table. Week three is about allowing others to be a part of the solution. And then week four is is about yielding to vision. So that's kind of the outline, not just for the book, but also for this ser- this four-week series that you can find online at PursueGod.org. So guys, today, let's talk about this first principle, which Katie, we're going to let you kind of open this up. The first principle is to start with me. So here you were. You guys, you, you confessed this horrible thing. Now you guys, you guys had some decisions to make. Talk, talk about what it, mean, what it means to you to start with me. Well, 
principles, because I'm telling you, these were the principles that helped us start to rebuild. Like I said, when we were standing on nothing, but even this week, when I got into this tension point in marriage with Josh, this, these points helped me get through those smaller things too, to rebuild. And so this first point called start with me is, is really just that it's a basic principle that says, if there is a point in your marriage, a place you're stuck, a place you need, you know, you want to grow to the first place that we have to start is with ourselves, the very first place. And so I know that looks as individual as every individual is, you know, but for me in our story, what happened was, yes, I was the one that had the affair. So I had done the betrayal on Josh, you know, to Josh. And a lot of times when that happens, you may say the right things. You may have this form of, you know, godly sorrow of, I'm so sorry that I hurt our vows, that I betrayed our vows. But actually, you know, you have crafted in within your own mind several reasons and justifications as to why this marriage is not working, is not going to work. And for me, a lot of that happened through culture, through I should be happy, I should be fulfilled, I should be able to live my one life to the fullest, take all my desires um, and chase those. And so I really had to start at that place of number one for me, it was recognizing, you know, that a lot of uh, the patterns that we, that we had in our marriage came from my blame shifting, that if anything was not right in my life, if I was discontent, if I was struggling because I had to work or if I was struggling because I was in a season where I was staying at home, all of that was on Josh. If I was unfulfilled, that was on Josh. If I wasn't being provided for enough, that was on Josh. I had blame shifted so much. And I think, so starting with you recognizing, is there any way that I'm blame shifting and putting something on the other person in the marriage that actually was never theirs to hold? You know, in a marriage, while we are meant to love and serve um, each other, we are supposed to find our fulfillment right from from God. And we've talked to a lot of couples that especially in an affair, what's happening is when your desires are, let's say they're at a 10 and your marriage is at a two, that gap, that two to a 10 gap is meant for to go to God. You know, you're meant to take all those desires, that passion, that intimacy, even that anger, that discontentment is supposed to go to the Lord. But in an affair situation, you're taking that desire outside of the covenant, you know, on yourself. So you starting with me looks at, you know, really taking a hard, honest look of where am I blame shifting? Um, and this is as old, you know, as the Garden of Eden. We talk, we see that in Genesis 3, where both Adam and Eve start to kind of look at each other. Like Adam says, you know, it's this woman that you gave me that tempted me in this way. And Eve starts to take her desires, her desires to have the knowledge of good and evil outside of bringing that to the Lord. You know, imagine she's been walking in intimacy with him. If she would have just said to him, like, Father, I'm being tempted to know more about good and evil. Like, how could you help me handle that desire? But instead she takes it away from him, hides it from her husband and, and tries to meet that desire on her own. And it's interesting. There's always a kernel of truth in blame shifting, isn't there? I mean, even, even in what, what Adam said, it was true that God gave the woman to him. So it starts with something true. So I'm sure for you, Katie, that's how it felt. There is, there is, I mean, this is the, the trick, the trick I think our mind plays, or I guess our flesh plays on us is there is something, there probably was some discontent. There probably was something in the way Josh was maybe, I don't know, maybe Josh, you were a workaholic, or maybe there was something going on in those first seven years of your marriage where there's a kernel of truth to that, but that's what the enemy does. He takes that kernel of truth and then he manipulates it. And pretty soon now it's, it's all his fault. Well, and I think, I think it's interesting too, the quality of, of, love and our resources, we talk about that love is a choice, not just a feeling and how culturally we present love as it's all about the desires. It's all about like Katie, how you said, like I deserve to be loved the way I want to be loved. So the whole attitude you had about the quality of love for Josh was about you. That's right. And what the Bible tells us is that we're supposed to, our love is supposed to be about serving the other person, putting them ahead of ourselves. So it's just kind of, this is a good application, I think, for people to think about the starting with you and the blame shifting, that the quality of your marriage and the way you love Josh should not, not have been the starting point, shouldn't have been, what are you doing for me? Mm. 
but rather, what am I doing for you? And it's a, uh, there, there's no shortcut to a like vibrant marriage or a lifelong covenant, but blame shifting somehow in a moment lets you, you know, bring about a solution to your discontentment. Well, it's him, right? Whereas if you take your feelings to God, and I, I had to start with me as well, even though I was the one that had been betrayed, it would have been easy for me to blame her. You did this to me. Look what you've done mm-hmm. to us. Look at the impact it's brought about in our family and our jobs and our life, et cetera. But the, the slower, harder road was saying like, okay, God, this was her choice. I'm not, you know, taking responsibility for what she's done, but I have to look close at what kind of culture have I created in our home? How have I not shepherded her heart that would in any way even allow in her mind the potential of, of walking this path? You know, um, I'm, I'm part of the situation that we're in. And so it was mm-hmm. as equally a difficult work just to look closely at me and be honest about, you know, for all the ways I thought I was working hard, was I actually being neglectful? Or for all the ways I thought I was being a godly husband, you know, was I actually avoiding cultivating intimacy for the sake of providing, you know, just harder things like that. Yeah. And so when you look at that principle of start with me in our dire circumstances, Tracy, just like you're saying, the first big realization for me was realizing that this other, this affair that I was having was self-love only, not actual love. Mm -hmm. That was a big realization that I had to make because everything in my mind, everything in my flesh was convincing me otherwise. And that happens, I've seen in many stories where sin is in play and people have been hiding in that sin, is having to recognize that that was self-love. So I was also operating exactly in that same mentality in my marriage. You know, what are you doing for me? Um, Where am I unfulfilled? And then even now today, when I talk about this principle of start with me and rebuilding, is the truth is, just like you said, Brian, there is an element of truth. Like, For instance, in our marriage, if I was wanting more emotional connection, more tending to me, more collaboration and team building, you know, we were in a church that his role, we had been in Baptist churches and his role was more front and center ministry. And I wanted, you know, in on that, that desire, something I can talk to him about and say, here's the desire. This is not totally on you. This may be on God. You know, this may not be God's path for me right now, Mm -hmm. but just bringing that into the light of the marriage and saying, this isn't wholly your responsibility, but how could we work on this together? Starting, you know, starting with you and not hiding those desires is the work of rebuilding in every season, you know? Because I think for some, for some couples listening who maybe have experienced infidelity, I think sometimes you, you end up with this situation where the, the spouse who was the offender, that's the language we tend to use, the offender just feels like they can't ever articulate anything. They just have to be in this constant mode of, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And there's truth to that, but there's also, you've got to be able to get past that, right, Josh, for you, you had to give her permission to say, we need to, I recognize you made a big mistake here, but we still need to, like, you can still speak your mind. That's right. Yeah. Right. You can still make your request because there's more to there's more to this problem than just your part in it. It's yeah. our part in it. We have to rebuild this together. Yeah. yeah. That's right. That's it's so true. And you think about, you know, in an emotional situation, my temptation was for this emotional connection. So having to bring that to him. But the same is true if it's been a physical affair or if there's something that they're desiring, you know, when you bring that to your spouse, it doesn't justify their actions that you've had a lack of physical intimacy at all. But you do have to start to recognize the culture, the environment that you're creating and saying, okay, that's a real deep need that is meant to be fulfilled in this covenant. How do we work on that together? You know, and it seems clearer with physical intimacy than it can with other things. But for every couple, when you're going to rebuild and there is a desire that's un- not being fulfilled, if you cannot blame shift and start with you, but bring it to the covenant, you truly can start to find a way to rebuild You know those two together, to really choose love. Yeah. And I think that that's important for couples to hear that because I think sometimes in our flesh and our humanity, if we feel a little bit unfulfilled, we, we like to feel like the victim. 
we like to be able to rest in that and be like, you know, my husband or my wife just doesn't fulfill me, but, but I'm never, I'm never voicing that because there's some part of that that's fueling something that you want. And I think that's just something that we need to be honest about and recognize because for both of you, you had to choose humility. You both for different reasons had to say you hurt me or I'm not satisfied in our relationship, but I recognize I played a part in that. Yeah. That couples out there listening. I hope that it, I hope that you're able to be humble enough to say, even though I have my hurts, I need to express that. I need to share that. I need to be honest about those things. So my spouse has a chance to rectify some of those things and be honest. If you don't say things, if you're not honest, Katie, I don't know for you why it took you the time that it did to to share those, the, the areas where you were discontent, but be honest. If you feel like that's fueling something in you to want to play the victim and to want to harbor these things, but not be honest with your spouse to actually make change or to move in a healthy direction. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so true. And I think it's because honestly, most of the time, good intention couples are just not making the time that is needed to invest in this relationship. You know, you have two souls trying to come together and with you know, I always tell Josh, I'm so much more complicated than I feel like he is. But especially, <laughs> I mean, especially if you have one person that is complicated, you know, and there's a lot going on in their mind and heart. And it takes so much time to be able to yeah. create a safe environment and culture to be able to bring these things to each other. Um, and that's where we talk so much about this dialogue daily, you know, day weekly to part quarterly. But the truth is most couples are not doing those kinds of intentional investment. They are side by side in life, you know, partnering up until something happens, the enemy's there waiting, and then there's just division. And I would say too, the other thing about this, especially start with me. And I had been a pastor for nearly a decade at that point, but in that, in this season, Man, I was going after God like I never had before because my Mm -hmm. internal narrative was so bad. Like I could be driving up the road and find myself white knuckle in the steering wheel trying to envision something that I never Mm -hmm. actually saw or rehearsing conversations. My, My inner monologue was just so destructive that I was staying home with our kids at that time. We had just moved to Charleston and I would spend, uh, I was making the, the girls have a morning rest and an afternoon rest. And uh, Katie was like, kids aren't supposed to nap twice. I was like, well, they are because I've got to have the time. But I would I would just, you know, and I'm not even a good journaler. But, man, I was just devouring God's word, pouring my heart out. And I think that's a big part of if it's just about working on this, then, man, you can you can shortcut the start with me. But by focusing in those initial moments of whether you're at a hard place or if you're just wanting to go to a new place, like, man, if you can start with God. Mm-hmm. To, and say, God, would you help help me? You know, mm-hmm. not, not them. I, she's got to do that for her. Would you help me? Mm-hmm. Help me see what I missed before. How mm-hmm. are we going to rebuild here? Like, I need you to get through today. It's like, man, I feel like starting with me for me as the one who was offended was really just the kindness of God to meet me in my pain and and help reposition some things within me for when we were ready to start building. Yeah. And Josh, how did you, so at some point then for you, obviously that meant that you had to forgive. And, and, you know, we talk about this quite a bit on the podcast about that, that, you know, healthy couples earn trust with each other. Mm -hmm. But part of that, especially in a situation like this is part of the prerequisite for that is that, that you have to, sometimes you have to forgive and, and have this new starting point so that Katie could earn trust again. So talk through, like, how were you able to get there in terms of forgiveness? I would say that's probably the question that couples ask us the most, just because mm-hmm. they've been so hurt. It's, it's almost like they're looking for a switch that they could flip in their hearts or minds, and they're, they're just asking, how did you forgive them? And I think uh, very early on, like some of the the language that comes to mind is forgiveness or or lack of forgiveness can either serve as concrete or a catalyst, like an inability mm-hmm. to forgive, man, you can live out of for decades mm-hmm. and it just be like your feet are planted in concrete. You can mentally, emotionally try to move forward, but you're just not going to go anywhere. Whereas as soon as you can forgive, man, it, it launches you, you know, to a, to a new place. And for me, I think God did that early on by helping me 
see that who she is is not what she did. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, you know, even in an argument with your spouse, you're a liar. Uh, you're a, you know, fill in the blank. It's just our way of dialogue to connect people with their behaviors. But he helped me see her name, Catherine, means pure at heart and just helped me see like, man, he has got good works he prepared for her. He made her and his image. Uh, he had her. He had me in mind as he was making her like just going mm-hmm. back to who he created her to be. And you would never like get mad at your spouse if they got up in the middle of the night, stubbed their toe on a piece of furniture, screamed and woke you up. You know, like you can't get mad at people for deeds done in the dark because they don't see or know what they're doing. And our tendency and our pain is to connect the person with the thing that they've done and, and think that in some way they need to take full responsibility, that they need to feel the pain that you've caused me to feel. And I think God just helped me to see the girl he had created and and the place that she was in and separate the two and the the verse. And that's where I think for all of these things practically, and that's why I said a few minutes ago about going after God like you never have before, like any of these principles or behaviors aren't just rooted in a, like, I'm just going to be a better Josh. I'm going to be a better Josh tomorrow than I was yesterday. Like, this isn't about behavior modification or me being better informed. Like, I want to be transformed tomorrow that my default would be to love her better than I did yesterday. And God's word in this case, and every case really, is the only thing to really help bring that about. And so Luke 23, 34 was the verse for me for forgiveness. This is Jesus on the cross after he has been, uh, you know, just treated brutally, looking out at the people that he came to save. And his prayer was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. And if I'm Jesus, I'm thinking, I know exactly what they did, right? They mm-hmm. they beat me, they whipped me, they stabbed my side, they're casting lots for my clothes, right? Now, you know, like you can look at the actions and th- I know exactly what they did, but for him to separate who they were created to be with the actions that they were doing. Like this, this isn't who they were, were created to be. And his prayer was for forgiveness. And Mm -hmm. so I, I think God used that to just unlock something in me to really help me see and reconnect me with my need for forgiveness for him. Like, Mm -hmm. man, I am a sinner deserving of death, but he came. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think oftentimes in our pain, we can forget our need for forgiveness, and because of that, really struggle to extend it to others. Let me ask a question real quick, Josh, to that point. Katie, for you, seeing that in practice, that you felt like he was forgiving and giving you room to to say like, hey, we, we can build something from that. How did you respond to that? Was that helpful to you then in your journey? Because you have your own journey of things you were working through in this yeah. Was Josh's ability to forgive, what what impact did that have on you to help you to continue in your journey of looking at yourself and where you had been? It honestly was everything, you know, because I look back on that time and I think people get forgiveness confused with the, the choice to forgive is just like the choice to love. But then there's all these other emotions and feelings and actions that come, you know, along with that choice. And so I think when people say like, I just don't know how he forgave, I just don't, you know, we had to, I had to rebuild trust, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to be an open book. He had to know where I was. He had to see my phone. He had to know that I wasn't continuing on in this betrayal. Um, But the forgiveness was a choice. It was a choice there to not call me by what I had done, to not speak that way to me, to not hold out anger towards me. And if he wouldn't have been able to choose that, I don't know how we would have rebuilt because I had so much shame and that the shame that you have when something like this happens wants to kill you. You know, your enemy is out for your life. He's not just Mm -hmm. trying to destroy our marriage. Like he really wanted to take me out. I know Mm -hmm. he did. And I got there. I got so low that, you know, that shame made me want to just even think about ending my life. So Mm -hmm. if I wouldn't have had him choose forgiveness and say, this is not who you are, this is how, this is what I'm choosing um, to do. I don't know how we would have rebuilt. It's a really important choice we have to give people. And I know that's why Jesus makes it so clear that 
if we cannot choose to forgive, we're not going to experience his forgiveness towards us. Yeah, and I think know? a lot of couples associate uh, forgiveness with forgetting. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I'm going to forgive you. Let's put this behind us. And move. Right. when the reality was we had a lot of trust right. earned, like mm-hmm. that I could feel comfortable if she's out and about and, and I'm not with her. And so it the the choice to forgive in no means meant that we per- lived or pretended like this this never happened. But the reality was she had believed some lies and was in a dark place. And that's what allowed her to make these decisions. And so if I'm projecting my anger on her, reminding her of what she's done or how I feel because of what she did, uh, who's going to be the one speaking life into her, reminding her of who God's called her to be, where God could take us. And so I feel like for all the ways that I I maybe missed out leading spiritually in the past in the name of work or hustle or whatever it was. Like in that season, it looked like my needs getting met by God and me being the one to pastor, speak life, encourage. All while, you know, she had to, I had access every password, every email mm-hmm. account, could check mm-hmm. her phone. You know, she was humbling herself that trust could be earned, but was also, you know, Mm-hmm. open to to hearing me speak truth and encourage her. And if a couple is in a betrayal situation, you know, we were afforded the opportunity of this being a public stop because he was a pastor, mm-hmm. you know, and his job was on the line. And But a lot of the couples that we counsel, that's not the case. You know, they work at a bank or, and they think they can just sweep it under the rug, continue on with their life. And that's what forgiveness is. And that is not what forgiveness is. You know, it is an emergency room situation. You have done something that has devastated your vows that you made. And so we tell couples like the, you know, if someone has a heart attack, you're not thinking how quickly can they return to work and life is normal. You are making sure that they're getting like the rehabilitation they needed. And so for us, you know, it was talking to our parents, being open, vulnerable with the people around us new. And we do think for couples, it's a healthy thing to bring this to the light and say, you know, um, our marriage is in a crisis point and we were choosing to rebuild together, but we want to be out and in the light with that, you know? Well, and I think that the key too, is that both of you were willing for different reasons to lay down your right to your feelings or your hurts to say, how do we start to see each other and hear each other and recognize that the other person has a perspective? That's what I think is so beautiful, Josh, that in your journey of what God was doing in you and your ability to come back to Katie and to say, I forgive, but we've got a lot of work to do on the trust that Katie that unlocked then for you, the ability to be more honest and to look at yourself. So as we're humble, as we come to the other person and say, I want to love you better. The way Jesus said that we are supposed to love our spouse is a selfless sacrificial love, seeing the other person's need ahead of our own. That as you guys were willing to look inward first yeah. Where did I go wrong on that? God changed my heart. That's what unlocked the ability for you guys to start having the conversations of rebuilding. And I just think couples, it's, it, it's, it, it does take bravery. It takes sacrifice to say, I'm going to let that go, or I'm going to die to that, yeah. or I'm going to die to my pride mm-hmm. because I care about this person and I don't want our family to fail. Yeah. And it takes a core belief that God is good and he desires good for you because choosing to love your spouse in that way can, especially if you're in a tough place, can feel like some obligatory obedience. Like I have to do this because God said so, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's, Mm -hmm. there's not going to be any life in that. But if you can believe that he came, that I might have life and have it more abundantly. But the way that I take hold of that abundant life is a bit counterintuitive. That's right. It doesn't look like me running after and attaining things that are going to make me feel good. But as I'm willing to love her as Christ loved the church, as I'm willing to die to myself, somehow by his kindness and grace, good is going to come from that, that I never could have built on my own. So Josh, talk about that for a second, because I I think for some of the guys and probably some of the wives listening to they're they're hearing your side of the story and they're saying, that is so far away from where I am right now. I don't know Mm -hmm. how I could ever say the words that Josh is saying right now, that he's able to give this over. And I I like what you said a minute ago, that it wasn't about just being a better Josh today than I was yesterday. There's something about 
the the vital connection that you had to Jesus. That's right. This isn't like a self-help book that you guys are That's putting right. out. Yeah. This is about Jesus transforming you. And talk about, we're going to get real specific for a second. Talk about how worship connects to that for you. Yeah. So I would say in that season, um, no, you, your mind in a lot of ways is uh, that your thoughts can run in ways that are that are uncontrolled. Like I like to say, our our thoughts are a violent intruder, not a welcome guest. You know, there's there's a reason that scripture says, take your thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, because in that season, man, my thoughts would would run wild and my emotions would be right on their heels. And I could be having a good morning, not thinking about anything, a thought come to mind and me find myself lost for 10 minutes in my thoughts and all of a sudden finding my heart angry and hard and I'm gritting my teeth and I'm full of fear or full of anxiety or full of anger. And so for me in that season, uh, just like, you know, uh, any other aspect of life, like if you see a uh, see a baseball player walk out to the mound, you know, depending on the league, they'll have a, a song that comes on, you know, that that's their song or basketball teams going out for warm ups have like uh, a warm up jam. We've all got a song that can take us to a different place, if you will, whether you're going to the gym and you want to get hyped up to work out or if you're dancing with your spouse, you know, the the song you dance to at the wedding or whatever it may be, those songs can take us somewhere emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in reality, what what those songs typically typically do is distract us and and worship music for me anyway in that season had the ability to deliver me. And so mm-hmm. I could have put on any of my favorite nineties hip hop music and been mm-hmm. thoroughly distracted because I still remember every word, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's been helpful for a moment. But as soon as the music stopped, I would, I would be right there in my feelings, still kind of stuck in them, whereas worship has the ability to deliver us to really take my eyes off my feelings, take my eyes off my circumstances, my situation, my fears, my insecurities, my doubts, and, and put them on God. Like you can't have big problems and have a big God. And worship just reminds you that, man, he is so much bigger than my problems. So in that season, man, I would, I found that the idle moments were typically the most painful for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Meaning like when you get in the car and you go to leave somewhere and you haven't turned any music on yet, those three, four, five minutes of silence when you've had kids around you and distractions and, and kind of what's what's most bothering you would kind of bubble to the top or the moments mm-hmm. right before you fall asleep at night when mm-hmm. you get in bed, turn off the lights and the house is quiet. My, my deep thoughts and feelings would kind of bubble to the top. And, and that season I had to, I would go to bed with, with ear pods on and kind of a worship playlist. And I would wake up at night with my ears throbbing cause I had rolled over on the AirPod or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, but it was because I needed to, I needed to drown out the death that my mind was generating all on its own. And Mm -hmm. it was like a movie that would not stop, that I could not turn off. And the only choice I could make was to engage in worship, Mm -hmm. uh, both like consciously and subconsciously, you know, that I would Mm -hmm. um, get my mind to a new place. It was the way to take my thoughts captive and, and help me get somewhere new. Yeah, I love I love that you said this wasn't a self-help book, that it was really Jesus transforming us. And when Josh talks about worship, because it's really the opposite of a self-help book, if that's possible, because basically it's about your ego dying. It's about a death. The only way you can have a new marriage with the same person is to die. You know, we're following in the footsteps of Christ. And that's where our hope is, too, because he gave us the perfect example of this death to our flesh, death to our ego, but the ego does not want to die. I know, you know, people listening to this might realize this, but like you don't, it does not, your flesh does not want to die or surrender. It doesn't want to let go of these thoughts of unforgiveness that it doesn't want you to change. It really does not. And so worship does just that. It takes you out of this moment and puts you in the supernatural moment that you were created for you know, with, with our God and let's that hope be restored. Let your spirit start to see things differently, see in Mm. the supernatural, you know? And so, um, it's, it's such an important 
thing to talk about, Brian, is that there is no principles that work apart from Jesus supernaturally transforming us and letting us have this death and resurrection moment. Okay, let's get let's get really practical for a second here, Josh and Katie, because some of our listeners, I mean, when you're saying all this stuff, I totally relate. Tracy and I, we listen to worship music all the time. I mean, it's primarily what we listen to in the car, at home, whatever. And I think a lot of people miss this, that that what kind of what you fill your home with, what you fill your car with, what you fill your head with matters. It, mm-hmm. it, it really does matter. But some of our listeners don't even know what you're talking about. You guys are in South Carolina. You got, you, you, or you're in North Carolina, South Carolina, South wherever Carolina. You're, <laughs> you're in, you're in South Carolina. Like you get it. Christians down there. I mean, you got, but there are people around the country, around the world who are listening to this and they honestly don't even know what you're talking about. Could you just take a minute to like, where would somebody find some worship music that if they're not really familiar with this, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Yeah. So we should also say say that we love, like we love Cardi B. We love rap music. We love, like when he talks about your first jam, my first thought was like, I'm so fancy. Like, I love that song, you know? And so I do want for the listeners to know, like we understand a good beat. But there is so much incredible worship music out there now. There yeah. truly is. So you can tell like where you would start. So I would I would say, so like our boys every night when they go to bed, and, and there was some like wrestle about this initially um, as to what they would listen to, but they listen to Brandon Lake um, and they'll open up Apple Music and he's got tons of music. But I would say a, a big part of um, enjoying it is finding music in a genre that you enjoy. And mm-hmm. so whether it's rock or rap or gospel, like, man, there's just so many kinds of, of Christian music <clears throat> that, that share a message. And so like in that season at nighttime, when I was going to bed, um, Shane and Shane were, uh, mm-hmm. were big back then. And, the, and now mm-hmm. we can't even hardly listen to some of those yeah, albums because yeah. it gives us like post-traumatic stress. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> it was almost like a spiritual worship lullaby that mm-hmm. I wow. could put on that would would lull me, lull me to sleep while also filling mm. my head with truth. And I remember laying there in the dark at night, tears running down my cheeks just because mm. songs I had heard and knew the words to now had such new meaning. And so Shane and Shane were, were really helpful for me in that season. Brandon Lake is another big one. Um, Elevation Worship, listen to a lot of, a lot of them. But I, I would just say if you uh, identify kind of the genre you like, Mm-hmm. And then and then do some Google searching there, and I would tend to find songs that uh, the the message of the song kind of connected with where my heart was at, and man, they were a well of of life for me. Anthem. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that the the point of it, and to what you guys are saying, is we we choose to feed either our bitterness and resentment and our our uh, entitlement to our hurts, That's right. or we feed I. God want to honor you with every part of me. And it includes my hurts. What do I do with that? How do I honor you even in this season? And so listening to worship music is feeding the humility. I need to love and see my spouse for the good rather than some of the other things. Cause I'm sure you guys had people in your life that would say, what are you doing? You know, get a divorce. Like this is, this is crazy. Why, you know, especially Josh, I'm sure to you, why the heck are you sticking around for this thing? So if we feed those if we let those voices, that's going to feed the bitterness, resentment, and this is about me, and I, that's all I, that matters, versus choosing the posture of, I want to feed my soul with the things that honor God, what God wants to say to me, which is, I'm sure, what the worship music spoke to you guys. And then that allows us to see with different eyes than mm. our situation and the problems. And it's such a, like, we know the the nature of our calling as husbands, but to really think about husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and mm. gave himself up for her. Like he came with full knowledge of a future betrayal. He loved Jesus knowing that he would be betrayed or Jesus loved Judas knowing that he would be betrayed by him. And so like conceptually as believers, we know these things until mm-hmm. you find yourself in a season where the only path forward is for me to die to myself. Yeah. And that's where like, yeah, you can, you can stew over your pain, what you deserve, the the movie in your mind that you can't seem to turn off. 
but believing that there is abundant life for me on the other side of this pain. There's no fast track. I can't medicate through it. Substances aren't going to take it away. But if I can sit in it, let God meet me in it and leverage a tool like his word or worship in this case, uh, it's like, man, it, it leads to life and yeah. in a very practical way it did. Guys, we can talk. This is so um, I can just hear our listeners getting so much from this, and I'm sure they're going to want to listen to this a couple of times, two, three, four times. But let's finish at least for today. We've got so much more to cover in the weeks ahead. But let's finish today, Katie, with what you what you talk about in the book. You call it confession therapy. You know, this whole principle is start with me. Start with I got to start with me. I'm not going to blame shift. I'm not going to point fingers. How did, like, how did confession play into that for you? Let's end on that. So for us, this was a principle we started. No counselors ever told us to do this, but it was one of the biggest techniques, practical tools that helped us rebuild. And just like I said before, that I feel like I'm complicated. I'm a complicated human. Josh, he is obviously too. And I don't think it's a man-woman thing, but sometimes in the partnership, you have that one that just has a lot of different thoughts, desires, emotions, passions. And going back to Genesis 3, I think about this moment with Eve and how you can take these ideas of your flesh, your ego, these desires and hide them or you can bring them to the light. And for us to start to have real intimacy, he needed to see all the parts of me. Mm -hmm. And I would say when I look back on the first seven years of our marriage, we were both trying to be the best versions of ourselves outwardly to everybody else and really to each other too. You know, of course we saw the Tuesday mornings with each other, but he did not know if I was having a dream. I had a dream about another man or I was having a thought of jealousy Mm -hmm. or you know, I had struggled with, um, you know, wanting to have more money than we did, you know, whatever these coveting thoughts, he did not know those sin elements that were happening in my heart. I wasn't taking them to him. And I honestly wasn't taking them to God either. Mm -hmm. So for confession therapy for us just practically became, I'm going to tell you everything. I'm going to show you the raw and the real. And so it started to look like if I saw a headband in the house, I would say to him, Hey, I wore this headband for this man. Months ago, I thought he would think I looked cute in it. And I just want to tell you that. And we saw him start to break things off of our marriage. The Lord started to break things off, things that I had kept in the dark. Because one, I was confessing things that Josh wouldn't have known otherwise. And two, the minute I would bring it to the light, it would lose power. But Mm -hmm. the smallest example of that headband, if I just wouldn't have said anything and every day that headband made me think I've got something he doesn't know about. I've got a thought. I've got the shame starts to come on you. There's a problem with me. I'm broken. I can't stop thinking about this other man. No, you have an enemy and you're walking in darkness. You know, the minute you bring it to the light, you can fight it together. And that's where like with the headband example, when she would bring those things to the light, it's like, well, we're getting rid of that thing. I would have joy in destroying it. But it it also it also (laughs) reiterated the reality that in terms of how powerful confession is, had she told me day one. I had a weird feeling for him mm-hmm. tonight, mm-hmm. like to see the the protector come out in each of us and for you to know like, man, this, this is the most precious relationship, but it is also the most fragile. And so you let me hear so you're sure. vulnerable. I'll protect you and us like I never had before. But when mm-hmm. confession isn't a normal behavior, man, it can feel so foreign and hard mm-hmm. to share something like that. So I remember in that season, Katie would come out with with journals from college where she would call me some ridiculous pet name, Schnooky Boo Boo. It's like, I just don't feel this way about you anymore. Do you feel mm-hmm. this way about me? And so from from her emotions to the clothing she wore to thoughts she had that day to things that she did in the past with him that she questioned whether or not she ever told me about. Like it it's not that it was easy for me to hear in the moment. But for her to say, I don't know that I love you anymore. I don't feel this way about you anymore. The day she told me she loved me, I knew she meant it because Mm -hmm. I had seen her struggle through questioning what she did feel and questioning what she did want and Mm -hmm. bringing those things to me. So it, it made the journey so much more meaningful. And I think I needed to see how strong this covenant was 
Um, because obviously it goes through, you know, when it can make it through hell, but a lot of couples might not have been through that place of hell and devastation, but it is a strong covenant. And I think most people would be shocked at how much their spouse can handle of their, you know, sin of their humanity, of their brokenness. And that's what it it built in us during this time is that this is a safe, strong place. And while it's not easy to hear these things from each other, we were made for this. We were made to fight the enemy together, to bring these things to the Lord together. And so, you know, confession therapy during that time, there was it was not as practical as it is for us now. But now we have little sayings around it. So I'll say like, hey, can you handle me? Or I've got to tell you a 10 tonight. And that just meaning like. If if I know I'm on edge, if I had a stressful day, mm. if I need a break, like her saying, can you handle me? Obviously, you the answer should be yes. But like mm-hmm. in this moment, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, can't I want to talk about whatever it is you need to say, but I need to go to the gym or I, you know, and so mm-hmm. it, it at least helped us set the environment for a conversation. And know that that's, you know, even now when we go on a walk, we we have these practices of dialoguing daily. We have a lot of children. We have seven children, if people haven't heard that yet on the podcast. But so we need to have a moment where we can talk and be together. And for us, that's at night, we go on a walk together. But I'll say like, hey, I've got to bring you my 10 tonight on a walk or, you know, and I I use the words like, hey, you know that I am safe. You know, you can tell me something that you're struggling with. You know, you, you know, you can be vulnerable with me. We say this in our marriage to help each other know that we are safe enough. To protect each other's vulnerabilities, you know, we need to do an entire episode, Mm -hmm. an entire bonus episode on confession therapy. I want to talk with you guys so much more about this because I think couples, some couples are panicking right now listening to this saying, I don't (laughs) think my marriage is ready for something like that. And it's probably not. So we'll, we'll, we'll spend some time in a later episode talking about all of that. But man, this has been Katie and Josh Walters. This has been amazing. The book is called new marriage, same couple. We'll put a link to the book in the show notes below. The The series on Pursue God is the same name. Hey, go to the family page at Pursue God, find this four-week series to have these... Con- it's one thing to listen to the podcast, maybe on your own or with your spouse, but boy, it's a whole different thing when you process it with another couple that you trust or with your small group yes. or yeah. a, a marriage group. And so use these resources. Again, the links will be below for all of this. And, and then join us next week because... Guys, next week we're going to talk about taking quitting off the table. Why don't you give just like a 60-second hook on topic number two that we're going to be hearing next week. That's great. Hey, I'd also say, Brian, I love the book, obviously, because it's our story and what God did. But for anyone listening, the workbook, I feel like, is the uh, is the secret sauce in terms of whether you're in a rural setting, don't really have a church or a tribe to process it with, man, it really helps make it personal. But for take quitting off the table, I'd say people um, people quit long before they, they leave, or people leave long before they quit. Uh, they'll leave in their mind. They'll start envisioning another place, another person, another life until they kind of live into it in their imagination enough to, to leave physically. And so taking quitting off the table is all about shutting the door and, and really committing. I, I vowed to you, I'm in a covenant with you, our best days are going to be ahead and they're going to be together. And so we need to, we need to work through this. We'll talk about that next week. So join us. Thanks, guys. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.